welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. Every week I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, where, when, and how of their journey. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. And as always, please remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. Today, it is my honor to sit down with a friend of mine, Rachel Myers. She's a production designer, director, and founder of Three Penny Design. Rachel, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you doing, Yuri? I'm all circumstances, uh, you know, out there. I'm I'm doing just fine right now. <laughs> For my listeners who are not familiar with with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? I'm a, a director and a designer. I uh, I work in a lot of different types of medium. I, you know, I trained in theatrical design, but I also acted originally as um, when I started my career. And, and so my, the bulk of my career has been built with sort of a range of interactive types of design that, that, you know, trans transitions from theater to film and television to commercials to, to branded design and, and then and then directing some of those projects as well. Yeah. Conceiving, wow. conceiving and directing. Yeah. You do a lot. So the big question I have with that is how are you doing in, right now in an industry that's struggling? Well, I really feel for my theatrical colleagues because I, you know, a very small percentage of my work is live events versus filmed events. And mm-hmm. it happens that like in the last month, or so people are starting to go back to work. So the industry is sort of slowly trying to flex its muscles and adjust and, uh, and get back in the swing of things with the new restrictions. I mean, it's not a pretty picture, you know, people working on set with masks and face shields, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in what we do because we work very closely together and communication is really rapid and a a lot of nonverbal indicators in the way that we communicate. But but people are figuring out their way around it. I haven't, I've only had one day of shooting with, with masks on so far. So I'm, I'm, I, I'll see what it's like when I'm back on set on a TV show or, or, or something where the challenges of coronavirus really throw a different wrench in the, in the system of the way that, that you, things used to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought that's good to know. It's good to hear that at least things are starting to get back. Yeah. I think there's, you know, the bigger companies are doing a slow, fire up and um and and getting back the the machine of production again so yeah. well, good so let's let's start from some of your early days here what initially got you interested in in studying and going to school for creative arts i you know there wasn't ever a choice really i just kind of did it i mean i always made things i directed plays i built projects and 
and roped all my cousins into things when I was a kid. And, and, and then I just, I always loved entertainment and visual storytelling and the magic of, of transporting imagination in entertainment. And I, and then I just pursued it and it's, I never really looked back. I mean, I have to say this coronavirus pause is the longest break that I've had in 10 years in this business and everybody's in the same position. Um, so I, it's, I've done a lot of reflecting and I feel really grateful for the, you know, the variety and, um, and the types of projects and collaborators that I've gotten to work with over the years. Yeah. Great. So, um, so let's talk about your school then. What, what initially made you want to, you said you first studied acting and then moved on from there. What, what was then that decision to, to first do acting and then move on to the design Yeah, well, side? I mean, I think, you know, I think that all acting is a, like an entry point that a lot of people start in entertainment with because, you know, people want to be in plays or be on stage. And so as a kid, I mean, I started with doing regional theater as a kid when I was five or six years old. And, and it was, it was our church basically every weekend as a family, we would go to regional theater rehearsals and we toured. Um, the theater company that I was with toured, you know, all over Southern California. And we got to perform at places like Magic Mountain and stuff <laughs> like that, which was really interesting and exciting at the time. And so it, it anchored my experience. But at the same time, I was really, um, I've always been super visually creative and tactile. And so I was really involved in making lots of different types of projects. And I come from a really academic kind of like studious family where you know people go to school and get jobs like accountants or you know my mom's a teacher and mm -hmm. and so it was a slow learning for me that pursuing a career in the arts was actually something viable because I didn't know anybody in my world who who did that you know we had this we had this one distant cousin who did something with special effects and would come around and like play the harmonica but that was that was it that was the only one anybody ever knew who actually worked in in film and so the mystique of it um, made it impenetrable. And so I, for a long time, went the way of like, oh, I have to, you know, pursue these academic mock trial and speech and debate and things that are going to get me into college rather than giving way to the artistic side of myself. And it wasn't until I was, I mean, I was always just really good at drawing and making things. And, you know, I had a, like a, a leader personality. So I was always putting on projects or organizing people to do things, which now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I was directing, <laughs> directing those people. Um, um, but, uh, it, you know, the summer after my junior year of high school, I took this intensive course at Pacific Northwest College of Art in Portland, Oregon, where I grew up. And the course was like a, an introduction to art school. So we had class mm -hmm. from nine to five every day and intensive figure drawing and sculpture and all of these things that I had been curious about and I never really given time to. And then what I discovered was that I was good at it. And my senior year of high school, I completely changed course and I applied to programs where I could be in, you know, an art and theater double major. And, and, uh, and that's what I did when I got to college. My undergrad was at Pomona and Scripps College and I double majored in theater performance and studio art. And I went back and did acting you know I, I hung up my acting hat at the end of undergrad as uh, my last role was Lady Macbeth um, nice. but but there was this moment where I was doing behind the scenes of the craft of entertainment and I was also on stage 
And I was really conflicted so much so that I had applied to these, they have these um, acting and performance, I think it's called USITT. And mm-hmm. they, they, they'll bring together like 40 schools. And so students can audition at a whole bunch of schools at the same time. And I, I auditioned as both a designer as an actor and got offered placement as both. <laughs> and, and then didn't know what to do with myself. So I didn't go, and I didn't go to, to school for either of them. Um, and then it took me a little bit of time working in the real world to come back around to like focusing on what, you know, what was the thing that I wanted to go after. Yeah. So, so you ended up the design side and why, what made you want to, um, to go to Yale for design school? Well, I mean, I figured, I mean, this sounds terrible, but I, I figured like, you know, I only want to go to grad school if I can go to the best one. And Yale had a, had the reputation at that time of being the like you know it's where all of these broadway and entertainment designers that that i looked up to had gone to school and famous famous actors and and um yeah so i i uh, i had gone my my one job in the art department before grad school was i worked on tim burton's corpse bride in the art department mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. fell in love with set design and up until that point i had mostly done costume design and so um, I applied to that program because I knew that Ming Cho Lee had, who runs the set design department, had a like a very strong presence, and that you were required to do both. And I wanted to make sure that I was in a position where I had a lot of flexibility. Um, so yeah, I applied. I went and interviewed, and then to my shock, at my interview, they they came, Ming came in, and they looked at my work, and then he said can you leave the room? And then they brought me back in and they said, we'd like to offer you a position in the department to come to Yale. And I said, are you sure? Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems so bizarre. Yeah. Um, but it really changed my life. I mean, the program was great, but I, I have to say like the um, the, the caliber of, of our classmates was like really phenomenal. And it makes me so proud and excited to see what work people are doing out in the world in television and film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I see people's names, I'm like, Oh, I remember them at, at a party <laughs> in a wig one, one night of grad school, but they were really talented. And it's nice to see that like those things, you know, you, you see talent and then, and then it finds its home and on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then talk to me after uh, grad school. So you graduated just ahead of the first financial crisis. So what was that like starting off and, and did it, um, you know, affect your, your career any in the, in the early or like, yes, yes. It, was, somewhere there? it was, it was intense. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I got out and it was 2007 and things were falling apart and there was a writer strike and everybody kept saying, when I would meet with people, they would say, oh, well, it's not like it used to be. There used to be all these big budgets and I would give you a job if I could, but they're tightening down. And so it was really, it felt really challenging at first to get, to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I incidentally, another classmate from grad school had seen a job posting like a month out of grad school that was looking for a costume set design faculty position. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed and got the job so it was really nice um because i was teaching two days a week and uh and that gave me like some the financial cushion right out of grad school and it was teaching in my field um and i taught at cal state channel islands for six years 
in teaching entertainment studies and and um and art courses about like the creative arts of entertainment while continuing to design and then like i slowly built um a collection of i did a lot of regional theater at first like at mm -hmm. south coast repertory theater the Gethin, the getty the um the uh shakespeare theater in washington dc uh old globe and and that was great because i got my footing um in the regional theater design world and then i slowly started breaking in in film i mean film is um you know at that time really felt like a really old boys club in terms of who who you know to get your your first job mm -hmm. and um you know i got my first job working for free on designing a music video because a producer that i had worked with on a project before i went to graduate school was doing this thing and and then that job led to the next job that was paid and so um yeah it was it was a real like starting from the ground up building it and hauling things around in my in my station wagon and then it's funny because you I look at things now like the people that i um you know started in the industry who were my interns and then they become a pa and then they become an art department coordinator and i see their the same path you know that they're hauling around things in their station wagons and and now i'm i'm the one running the 80 person department <laughs> so it's nice to see the sort of full circle of it and i feel really grateful for all you know everything that that's come from it mm -hmm. Talk to me about Three Penny Design and where that came from. Oh, so I I wanted a I I built the first Three Penny site and like launched the business right as I was leaving graduate school because I do lots of things. I mean I'm I draw um, and do illustration and I do film and theater and so I wanted something that was you know inclusive of all of those things and and one night was brainstorming with a friend and we came up with the idea three penny design and it just seemed fun it's an homage to the three penny opera bertolt brecht which was was the first thing i ever directed in college was bertolt brecht and so it, it's like a, just a funny little play on that mm -hmm. um and and then like over the years i have gotten a lot of work for three penny and the like really built the business out um doing a lot of corporate branded design and activation and experiential type events um mm -hmm. pop-ups trade shows uh i've done stuff that's like you know the red carpet for the golden globes and the emmys and we did a huge event um with a production company in new york that was we built um we built a pop-up for crayola and times square which was really fun mm -hmm. um for, for their national cran day and the announcement of a of a color retiring and the introduction of a new color so yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really inventive. And I think actually, um, the integration of like doing the creative for my own company, because a lot of times they'll come to me with something and they'll say like, we want something kind of like this, or we like this movie. We like, we want something about, we want this, you know, this tech company I used to work for a lot with, with three penny came to me once and they said, we want this showroom to feel like Iron Man's lab. Um, you know, and so I just sort of ran with it. But what I discovered in the process with a lot of these projects is that the creative that I was coming up with was was not just the design. It was like conceptual creative about the narrative in the storytelling. So how does somebody enter into the space becomes like, what is the story of their experience in the akin to the way that somebody would um, 
you know, be on a ride at Disneyland or watch a play and like, what is the narrative? And so, Mm -hmm. so there was this, this overlap between the visual narrative and the, um, and the, the storytelling and, and, and it was really creative direction and directing these projects. And I really, really enjoyed it because what I discovered doing the work with three penny was that a lot of these projects that I was creating pieces of all kinds for was, was using, um, a narrative muscle in terms of imagination that was much more uh, fertile and active than some of my creative work on movies that I had been designing and TV shows. Um, it, it was more challenging and more interesting because I was able to be in the driver's seat creatively in a bigger way. And that, and that was what led to me starting to direct more because I realized that I had been doing it all along and that it was really fun and exciting and and uh yeah yeah how how did you let's say how did your business savvy inside of that evolve and was there because obviously you know part of this is you know designing them but also then charging the client yeah appropriately how did you learn to do all that side of it well i mean my dad is a business guy he he, you know, ran a company for a long time. And, and, um, and I, I have to say, I learned a lot from him just, you know, over the years, just watching how he did things. And incidentally, it was like, I was right out of graduate school and I got a, a bid opportunity for a big project with Hewlett Packard. And I was sitting at my parents' kitchen table because I happened to be visiting them in Oregon that weekend while I was working on the bid and the proposal and my dad glanced over my shoulder and saw what I was doing. And he, and he was like, go, you know, go, go, go big. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen post COVID, but like the, the operating scale of a small theater is in a different galaxy from the way that corporate budgets operate. Mm-hmm. And so what seemed plausible in terms of my imagination of scope like really changed um you know and also as you get older and you are exposed to more about the infrastructure of the industry you realize that like you know when you're doing a trade show like you have to you you know union labor on the floor of a trade show is going to charge between like 200 and 400 dollars an hour Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like built in cost to the uh the expense that companies are used to shouldering and that as a smaller business, I had to learn in terms of budgeting properly to be able to, you know, grow the business and pay my, my um, contractors and, you know, insurance and all the overhead that you take on when you run a corporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So t- um, your clients, how did you get your first client and what was that experience like? Um, well, that Hewlett Packard job was the first big, big project. And then it led to several projects with Hewlett Packard, Mm -hmm. um, which was, which was really fun because they, at that time were doing, they were trying to like jazz up their, um, their inter like brand, uh, communication to their employees. So the first, the first project I got hired for that was that like really grew three penny was, was to do a corporate news broadcast like we put on a we put on a tv show for the hewlett-packard employees and built a whole fancy slick newsroom at their headquarters in a conference room but you would never have known it was a conference room it looked like a hollywood soundstage um 
for their for their uh, executives to speak to their six thousand employees worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're all different types of projects creatively. Like the there was one that was really special that was um, with a company called Soap and Glory, uh, and it was it was tied in with the women's movement about like speaking your truth and like owning your voice and 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 so every every project i always try and figure out what is the narrative you know because brands are trying to sell things but there's also you know like consumers really want to feel connected to products and especially now i think integrity in the content of the product and like how people market and that few people feel heard in terms of the needs that that they have and also that the brand like you know provides the community in some kind of way that that matches their own ideals and so i think all of those things get factored into how how these projects come about and how they're executed yeah how are you so after that first job you said you it kind of led to a couple others with hewlett packer but in general how are you getting your your um corporate jobs are there are you actively marketing yourself out there is it word of mouth or, or how is that process it's word of mouth it's all word of mouth yeah I, think, I don't think i've gotten a single job in 20 years that wasn't through meeting somebody oh that's um, great yeah i mean it's great but it's also like you know it, at the same time you like it, it's hard sometimes to you know to penetrate certain certain markets and um but it is a good lesson that, you know, I think that for one of my first tech projects, the, the company that we did the Iron Man lab for, mm-hmm. I mean, that was, I met somebody at a dinner party and then she called me two weeks later and, and I worked with them for f- four or five years. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So let's talk more about then your, your directing path. So you, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, doing the corporate work, which you kind of led you into directing, but I want you to go a little bit further with that. Where was it? Like, what was that moment when you were like, you know what, this is what I really want to focus on now. And how did you then keep moving forward as a director? Um, Well, you know, I I had wanted to direct, I directed in college and I had wanted to direct in my twenties when I moved to LA and just didn't have the wherewithal. You know, I didn't go to film school. I did theater and you know, there's so much that is involved in film, like shooting and editing and actors. And I didn't know about it. And I felt like, and I think, I do think in hindsight that this is a bit of a woman thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see, I have seen in my career, um, like extremely qualified women over and over again say, oh, I, I just couldn't do that thing because I've never done it before. And, and, I, and I have experienced in a lot of my... Um, hiring for for positions like a lot of young men who don't seem to have that same same like censorship censorship of their own abilities and just go for it Mm -hmm. and so i do wish if i had told my younger self something i would have just said like just go for it there's no rules like these these young guys that i had met with like they didn't know what they were doing and they just figured it out and raised some money and borrowed a camera or whatever it was um so i think that hurdle took me a long time because i just didn't feel like i had permission um, and it was only having professional success as a designer in the film industry and knowing a lot of people that I was able to to be like, okay, I'm going to put together this shoot. And I didn't think anything of it. I mean, there was, I had a, a story that I wanted to tell and I knew how I wanted to have it done. And it would 
two days that we needed to shoot it. And, you know, I called some favors of friends and, you know, threw them a little bit of money for their time. And we went out and shot this thing and edited and I just, you know, paid for it myself. And, um, and to my great surprise, like that, that short first film, Wendy Shabbat, um, went on to Tribeca Film Festival and 50 other film festivals worldwide, like Palm Springs International and qualified for Academy Awards. And then it was bought by, by PBS and Topic and broadcast. And, and it was like a real eye-opening experience for me because it took nothing of me in terms of what I've given of myself and time and energy and stress to clients and, you know, movies and projects where I've been a hired gun as a designer over the years, like doing this little film was, was nothing. Like it was my pinky of, of, of energy. And so then that sort of awakened in me this like idea that like, what if I actually gave to pursuing directing what I've given to design? Um, and so then I started making more films and they've like, you know, to my great happiness, they've, they've, uh, been in other film festivals and like gotten attention and I've won some um I won this award with the Shondaland and I'm going to be directing an episode of one of their their television shows and um I just was nominated for this Lynn Shelton grant Mm -hmm. for directors for women directors later career women directors so it's it's been like a a long road you know it's it's funny because it's like 20 years in the making to get here and I haven't directed my first feature yet you know, but there's one in the mix that, you know, God willing, it will be, will be shooting in the next calendar year. But you just really see that, that um, the gatekeepers don't really exist. I mean, they sort of exist, but it's like learning how to figure out the right language and also just learning how to trust your own instinct to go after making things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, so congratulations on, on your awards and, and the grant. That's amazing. So talk to me more about Shondaland. How did that opportunity arise and and how is that going um i it was great i I, they paid me um uh they flew me to to a film festival to present this award and and then i worked um on one of their tv shows shadowing another director shadowing is when you you are observing another director work which is very strange because directing is like nobody hires you to direct unless you've directed and and directing is like you're sort of a, a soul a sole position. And so it's, you know, uh, it was great watching, watching her work. And I've watched some other directors work, but I've also been in the business for 20 years now. So I've effectively been director shadowing, like without calling it that, you know, my entire career, because I'm always in the van tech scouting and putting together boards and helping the directors like work, work through what is the aesthetic and feeling and mood of the film. Um, so, so now shifting to the other side of the table, it's been, it's been nice because there's, you know, there's always feel like a lot of things you feel like you don't know, but on the other side, what I discovered when I started directing some of these projects, I just directed a short form series that we shot remotely. And Mm -hmm. what I discovered was that the acting muscle of like having been, you know, a child actor and a theater major, it just came pouring out in terms of working with the actors, all this vocabulary about objective and like, you know, finding the through line in a character, it was just sort of like below the surface 
in me and I hadn't even thought about it or exercised that and then it and then it was there so um so I always think that like nothing is ever wasted and you know I in in some ways like coulda woulda shoulda like I you know I wanted to direct when I was 25 I'm 40 that didn't happen but I also think that everything that I did do that led here has been like great money in the bank and Mm -hmm. um and makes me all the more ready for for doing it now yeah yeah, that's exciting. So what, so you've, you know, you, you kind of mentioned earlier on, on how your, your first directing experience, you didn't have, didn't take a lot of energy, but now that's where you want to put your focus in. Is that, so in the next, let's say three to five years, is directing where you're putting your main focus or what's the, what's your future? Yeah. I mean, now? you know, there's, there's a lot of people that I look up to in terms of like the, what the type of work they put out in the world, either as filmmakers or as like creatives. And I, I think that like with creative people, particularly in the landscape that we're in now, there's a way to shift and move between platforms, you know, like, mm-hmm. like um, Catherine Hardwick, who's a really great director who actually also started out as a production designer, which is nice because there's very few women production designers that I, that I can look to as a similar career path of what I'm, I'm doing now. Um, she just directed a series for Quibi, which is like short form content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after doing big movies, and I think it just goes to show that like with all the different platforms of movies and like commercials and like vines and Snapchat, you know, there's just like lots of different ways to message people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a live audience scenario or online and um and i think that that is very exciting especially with ai and like you know all the new technologies about the way that people are are going to be able to tell stories virtually mm-hmm. so so you know i'm i i, I just want to continue to make and tell stories in whatever capacity that that i find exciting and and you know with great collaborators yeah Oh, wonderful. Have you started looking at, let's say, you know, potential platforms or, you know, learning more about, let's say, the virtual reality world um, or, you know, different technology like AI or are well, you just kind of taking yeah. it as it comes? I mean, I take it as it comes, but I, I incidentally, I like one of that tech company that I had, had worked with for a long time for Three Penny, mm-hmm. they're their technology was an augmented reality technology. And so I learned a lot about some of the innovation in that market by designing booths for their trade shows, because I would go and then I would wander around and see what, what people were putting out in terms of, of tools and how people tell stories, mm-hmm. you know, how we see things with Google glass or Oculus or whatever these, these new things are. And then, um, so it's something that I'm interested in tremendously because you know, people are always evolving, you know, it used to just be radio and then it was TV and then it was internet. And I think, um, you know, I think all of those ultimately like the gag is, is interesting, but the gag only lasts so long if you don't have story that, that gets you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, you know, the important thing is like, we are storytellers. I know how to tell a story and like, how do you do it in whatever the platform is that comes? Yeah. Yeah, great. So talk to me about the idea of fear. And so the different times in your career, either it was when you were switching careers or trying something new, how do you approach things that you're fearful of and how do you push past them? Oh, that's tough. Um, I mean, 
you know, they, you know, there's that cliche, like saying that's like, you know, if, if, if think, if you don't fear something, it doesn't grow you. Um, but that's really true because I, you know, I look at certain years of my career where for whatever reason, I, you know, I didn't want to leave LA. So I didn't pursue taking bigger jobs and just did things that were, that I could sort of dial in. And like, those were not projects that I will think of as like particularly inventive or groundbreaking. And the, the most, um, the most memorable moments in my career thus far, and I hope moving forward are things where I've taken a bigger risk. Um, I mean, I mean, I think ultimately that rule about 10, the 10,000 hours is true that, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to, to really learn something. And, you know, you have good taste and you have good instincts that have developed over a career of being involved in, in a, a pursuit of something. And, and so that it's really valuable to listen to those instincts. And it's hard because, you know, the entertainment industry, people have a lot of opinions and, and, you know, sometimes you find people who are on your team and sometimes you find people who are really not on your team. But, but what I've discovered and learned from like, you know, working with, with a lot of different types of directors over the years is that like, if when somebody about something mm -hmm. and, and like that energy becomes electric and, and, and if you think it's a good idea and you steal their passion then people get on board. I mean, people like, you know, we as humans want to be part of something creative and like, and interactive and, and, um, and feel like our work is important and it matters. And so I really feel that in terms of like how I pick things and how I pick collaborators and, you know, it's just like, it's a feeling a lot of the time, an instinct, mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. which is hard to listen to. I mean, it is really hard to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting with instincts. So how much of, let's say what you do is like listening to your gut versus listening to your head? Well, I mean, you know, it's a dance, right? Because Hollywood has a lot of rules and there's like a lot of people who are important, who make things happen, you know, mm -hmm. and they're kind of the suit people, you know, they're the like managers, agents, business reps, marketing people, you know, and then there's, then there's the creative and like, and so it's easy to get lost in all of that. I mean, I personally, you know, Hollywood is exciting. Like I will never in my life drive onto a back lot and, you know, drive through like the old Western town and universal or Warner or something and not feel excited. And like, you know, because it makes my, my little artist heart beat like, Oh, this is like the Hollywood <laughs> magic that I dreamed of. Um, but, but like in that it's easy to get lost in all of the fuss and buzz. And I think if that's, if I was going to take something away from this like horrible thing of coronavirus life that everyone is experiencing is that like, I actually, you know, I miss people, but I have really enjoyed the quiet in a lot of ways because it's like, what's really important, you know, in our lives with our family and people we care about, but also like, you know, if we're going to do business in this time, like, what's the real thing that that's there and not just like the fluff of parties and, and the, you know, red carpet bonanza. Yeah. Um, I think I derivated from your, your question a bit. <laughs> no, um, that's okay. This is still good. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? Somebody said when I was in grad school, like that they never took a project if it didn't have two of three things, which was good people, good pay, good project. Um, and 
so I always think like when I'm doing things, I'm like two out of three, good people could pay good project. But I've really found that I'm like, honestly, most happy, obviously when it's three out of three mm-hmm. and, and the money, like the money's important because we all have to pay our bills, but um, it's not enough. Like good people, good project, like is way better than good money. Good, good project. Mm-hmm. Um because like who you work with, I mean, like on, on creative projects, you're with people all day long. And, and what I found is that when I have an instinct in an interview or something um, that uh, I don't know if I, if I trust this guy or like, I don't know if, did he really just ask me that? You know, like I, I now in hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but like, I've, I've learned to, as I've gotten older, to try and listen to those voices a little more because all the people, the suits, the agents or whatever will come out of the meeting and say, oh, they loved you. They want to hire you. And then I, too often I've gotten on board with that and just started something to find myself in a pickle because like I was with, you know, you're, you're in a very small team with people or a project that you don't believe in mm-hmm. and it's not worth it. I mean, now, you know, it's hard because the things that we've lost a lot of time and money with the coronavirus. But, but I think coming out of this, I, the lesson for myself is that like, I want to just, I want to do things that, that I believe in with people that I want to be around and people that I like and trust. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see your work or follow you online, where are the best places they can go to do that? Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's been lovely, Yuri. It's really fun talking about the creative process and I'm, I'm super grateful to share it and, and uh, yeah, just, just go make things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say if you want to look at some of my work, I have many websites, <laughs> um, but you could look at the three penny design website. You could look at racheldirects.com as my directing website or Rachel Myers design is my production design website. And then all of my movies and projects have their own websites like wendyshabbat.com or confidence has a website or hotspot that just did has a website so you know or just rachel directs on instagram is a good place to start (laughs) awesome so many places i love it i'll i'll put all of those links in the show notes so people can click right through and follow you at all of your websites okay yeah awesome (laughs) again thank you so much rachel i appreciate it um, thank you, Yuri, and uh, and yeah, have an awesome day and be safe and healthy and till we meet again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to advanceyourart.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again and have a great day.